house. No, the right no, house. I did it, get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Here she is, my aunt, Adela, painted by Gustav Klimt. That's quite a painting. She was taken off the walls of our home by the Nazis. And since then, she's been hanging in the Belvedere Gallery in Vienna. And now you'd like to be reunited. Wouldn't that be lovely? And then there's justice. You really think a painting that ends up as a fridge magnet will ever leave Austria? It'd be a mistake not to take a look. Could you drive a little faster? We're going to be there four hours early. But I want to buy perfume and cognac in duty-free. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that does shady nighttime accounting in our dimly lit offices. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my pregnant but understanding wife, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Joe, I've picked out your tie. This is the tie <laughs> that you need to go wear to the Supreme Court. Oh, by the you way, know. I'm in labor right now. Yeah, my water broke. I'm fine. <laughs> How absurd. How incredibly absurd. The most unheralded katie holmes performance honest to christ i maybe wasn't paying enough attention in the credits to have caught before she was on screen oh yeah much like um, olga kurlienko in fucking black widow um to the point where you're just like olga kurlienko like greatest cameo or whatever and i'm just like honey she was in the credits like she was right there I, I did not see her in the credits, but um, when she came, when she uh, dissolved onto the screen, her mask dissolved away, I fully screamed, and I was like, this, something went wrong here. They promised her something that they did not give her, um, and then I think she says one word and dies. Spoiler for Black Widow. I mean, that's um, kind of where Olga Kurilenko's star meter is right now, right? Like, that's about right. Am I Midwestern trash for calling it Kurlienko? No, I've not. I don't it's know. Kurlenko? Well, I've watched a lot of hockey and also a lot of like gymnastics in my day, so mm, so you know all of the Russian. I feel sports. like I've heard a name like that that has been pronounced Kurlenko. Slavic sports, but like I could also just be like Westernizing it as fuck. So like, who the hell knows? <laughs> Either way. Katie Holmes in Woman in Gold, the first time she appears on screen, they're, like, in bed together, and, like, it's from the side. You can't tell that it's her. But then when it, like, pans around and you can see it's Katie Holmes, I screamed her name at my computer screen. Okay, so top five, wait a second, that Katie Holmes... Wait a second is that Katie Holmes' performances in Katie Holmes' career. And I'm going to bring up her IMDb just so, like, we can be... uh, comprehensive about this because it feels like half the time that katie holmes shows up in a movie it's a surprise right it's like i'm watching you know the giver and it's just like holy shit that's katie holmes i'm watching phone booth and oh my god that's katie holmes and i feel like there's a lot of those throughout her career like there's she's done a lot of things were like for a while there, she was on the poster, like First Daughter and Pieces of April and stuff like that. But I feel like if I'm watching, I'm trying to look at some recent ones. Jack and Jill. 
why would I be watching Jack and Jill? That's an excellent question. You're right to ask that question. But like all of a sudden, it's just like, oh shit, that's Katie Holmes. Why is Katie Holmes in this movie? She's the wife in Jack and she's Jill. The, right? that's, she's sure. that's the, all of these things. It's just like surprise, Katie Holmes. Oh, Logan Lucky is a great example of that. Oh yeah. I was really not she's prepared. Really good. In she's Logan it, Lucky. as is everybody. Okay, I watched. As is everybody, of course. I watched except for um, Seth MacFarlane. Right. That is a truth truth universally acknowledged that Seth MacFarlane. Topic for a different episode. But I was watching the new Soderbergh whose title I can never remember because it's so fucking no sudden move right I always want to say no false move but it's no sudden move um which I did not super care for but mostly it's because I'm as every second I spent watching that movie I spent wishing it was watching Logan Lucky instead like that's all I wanted to be doing was just watching Logan Lucky very different vibe though I love that right I wanted the vibe of Logan Lucky Yeah, you were really. I mean, Bill Duke is in a couple of scenes in that. I he. I guess he doesn't jump out to me in that movie super much. I really liked Amy Simons. Maybe Amy Simons is my Bill Duke. Um, but and of course, Jupy, our little uh, our little Noah Jupe. Kid's gonna run the town one day. Truly, I am all in on the Noah Jupe train at this point. But anyway, not a fan of that movie. Huge fan of Logan Lucky, and uh, yeah, Katie Holmes is fantastic in it. Um, we are talking about this week the great Katie Holmes movie, The Woman in Gold. Not not the Woman in Gold. I sound like a a mom when I say that. Woman in Gold. It, it, the gritty reboot will be The Woman in Gold. <laughs> right. Robert Pattinson is The Woman in Gold. Um, category is Gold Eleganza. Yeah, category is Woman in Gold would genuinely have been a viable thing if anybody had seen the movie Woman in Gold and it had had a any kind of cultural footprint at all. But it didn't, and so we talked about it. It made a lot of money. It made more money than it should have, right? I like, think let's it's say just that very well timed counter programming. Yeah, because like there are those spring movies that are meant for older people <laughs> that make money, and it feels like we're getting less and less of those now. I'm thinking of all of the like. Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Yeah. And like, this is, this is, this is, uh, reaching for the same audience. So this opened on April Fool's Day in 2015, which I always feel like a, opening a movie on April Fool's Day feels like there's a reason why hotels don't have 13th floors. Like, it's just tempting bad luck to do it. Guarantee like that. you, like, deadline or somebody headlined the box office, uh, weekend report with Fool's quotes gold so do you have any idea what movie this counter programmed it's opening weekend okay 2015 april 2015 first weekend of april 2015 i will tell you it was easter weekend if that helps it doesn't in terms of right doesn't it's not like it's uh uh you know the passion of the christ uh, opened on uh on easter weekend or anything um it was a big Is one. Is it something like Wrath of the Titans? No. Or like the first Peter Rabbit? No, it's something much, much uh, more popular than those. Uh, a Fast and the Furious movie. Yes, Fast and the Furious 7, which I believe was just called Furious 7. Um, the the one where Paul Walker rides off into the sunset at the end. Ends up being the uh, fifth highest yeah, fifth highest box office uh, movie of 2015. So you could see Furious 7 and cry your little hearts out at Paul Walker at the end. Or you could go see Woman in Gold and watch Helen Mirren try and recover her uh, the art that the Nazis stole. 
So that was your choice. What else opened that weekend, if anything? Nothing. Those are the only two movies, uh, new movies of note. Um, I would have chosen Woman in Gold. <laughs> I did choose. I am fairly certain uh, Furious Seven. So, uh, anyway. had you seen this movie before? No, I hadn't. This was I the first hadn't time. either. Um, let me t- let me ask you now this question, Chris. Have you now seen this movie? Because <laughs> my yes, answer I to had... that question is maybe. I had not seen Woman in Gold, but like. I'd seen Woman in Gold. This is another one of those movies where it's like, oh, okay, this is exactly the movie you expect it to be because you've seen this movie 15 times. Watching this movie, Chris, and knowing it was a Weinstein Company movie, what other movie jumped into your head? And let's see if it was the same one for me. Oh, uh, Imitation Game. Oh, wild. See, for me, I was like, they want this movie to be another Philomena. Where it's... Sure, it it is in the crosshairs of... An uh, imitation game and a Philomena. True, it is fifty percent Philomena. True life story of a woman seeking to redress a terrible wrong that uh, you know a a terrible moment in our history did to her, accompanied by a somewhat mismatched, oft comedic actor playing her advocate. I was like, they wanted, they knew exactly what they wanted this movie to be when. Uh, uh, when they had uh, this come out, which is why it was sort of surprising to me that this opened in the spring because they had so much success opening Philomena like super, super, super late in 2013. But maybe they got cold feet about it or I don't know. This seemed like uh, I don't think this movie is too terribly exciting or interesting, but if you are a Weinstein company person and you have had success with Philomena and you are working with the director of my week with Marilyn. I don't know. I don't know why you would open this movie in the spring unless they were really like clearing the path. No wait, Imitation game. Wasn't this year. Imitation game was the year. Uh, was the year before this. What were they making room for? I wonder in 20, well in 2015 and we'll get to it. Weinstein company was not had bigger fish to fry and other than no. its movies. And, the their big awards movies at the end of the year they had the Macbeth movie that wasn't going to go anywhere right um, talk about movie Carol. opened super super late that Macbeth that Macbeth movie opened like February 29th and I don't even think it was a leap year that year like it opened just on a date that never existed <laughs> uh, technically opened in December yeah. but like that it's it was so a non release that eventually you know whatever right um, but they had Carol that year oh of we don't course. have to okay. get too deep into it but right. like right. And Hateful Eight. Handle Carol all that well. And then Hateful Eight, which is like, uh, we can get into it. But like, (laughs) they were a company that had no money and they were like, sure, Quentin Tarantino, we will do whatever you want for this. Right. uh, That Hateful Eight Oscar campaign was essentially just like, it was Quentin Tarantino operating off of his own momentum. And ultimately it didn't get very much as compared to something like Django Unchained. And I know people liked Django Unchained better than hateful eight but like uh, both of them are in similar buckets for me so um hateful eight does get the the jennifer jason lee supporting actress nomination and it wins for the score but like Mm -hmm. quentin tarantino's movies on either side of that one have done much much better with the oscars in recent Mm -hmm. years so that's and the better movies i don't like Django, but it's still better than that anyway i think i agree like you're you're right that 
the we're talking about a company that was uh, kind of on the outs, not doing well. And this is before the then... the the Harvey Weinstein uh, legal matters uh, came up. This is just purely financially. The company was in trouble in twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So which I mean, ultimately, uh, it gets lost kind of as it should for like right. the unearthing of everything horrible that Harvey Weinstein had yeah. done. Um, but like it is interesting. That, the like, Weinstein Company's the financials of... in 2015 were the uh, Gary Condit to Harvey Weinstein's 9/11, where all of a sudden it was just like, yeah, it's been lost to history now because something much, much worse happened uh, later and soon later. But you say like, why would they release this in the spring? when like it so clearly has like a clear path and like a model to follow in terms of an Oscar campaign but like they c- kind of either baked it into the plan that they would bring it back around in the spring I think this is one of the reasons why it got the SAG nomination for Mirren is I'm pretty sure this is one of the first screeners yeah. that were sent out you talk about this a lot being like if you're the first screener out the door you have a really good chance with SAG and you're not wrong like that has borne I mean, out sometimes you you hear the report that like the first screener that's on everybody's door is X movie that really has no chance but like Amy Adams, uh, part of her campaign was built on getting Junebug, the first screener in people's, uh, you know, mailboxes. It's, there is, year. there is, I mean, it makes sense because when the deluge of screeners hits, you have to start making tough decisions. But that first couple that like trickle in, you'll watch just because it's like, well, this is the one screener that I have. It has no competition. Mm-hmm. Like, it does make sense. Exactly. But yeah, this one was an early screener. This one was, um, but until it got that surprise SAG nomination, it was kind of out, already out of the conversation. And I think by the time the SAG nomination happened, it was too late, really, to get it back into the conversation. I know there was some talk, because Mirren was also, and we'll talk about this, she was also getting buzzed for Trumbo that same year. But um, I think it was a little bit of a too little, too late happening there. If there had been a campaign... Even if she had been running, like, 8th, ninth place in Best Actress that year by the time that nomination happened, maybe. But, like, she was such an afterthought in that category by then, by that point. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's also that this SAG lineup right. didn't just have Helen Mirren show up for Woman in Gold, We're getting also so far. Silverman. Yeah, we're getting so far ahead of ourselves, but yes. We, we are, but, like, this is the shit that we like to uh, yeah. break apart. So we can loop back to SAG because we're going to talk about Sarah Silverman's nomination as well. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, to loop it back to the movie, this is very much a movie that I hadn't seen because I knew it was a movie I'd already seen before, um, if that makes sense. we You have seen very many movies like this all the way back to, you know, just the way that it's constructed, constructed narratively. You have a lot of flashbacks to how she actually escaped Vienna, how she, you know, kind of systematically had to, like, break from her family um, you know what it made me think of also uh in terms of a better movie was what was the documentary that was nominated this year the documentary short um about the woman going back into uh nazi uh, oh god hold on i'm gonna look that up because that was a good one and i think it won it did colette right yes colette Yes. yes 
Um, I thought Colette treads some of the, the same ground, no pun intended, in terms of a a woman sort of revisiting the ghosts of uh, her, what the Holocaust had done to her and her family. And mm-hmm. obviously that's a big part of Helen Mirren's character's storyline in this. And it's certainly the most interesting part of the storyline. I think the movie wants you to think the most interesting part of this movie is the interplay between her and Ryan Reynolds, who plays her lawyer, but I would disagree. And maybe it should be, maybe a better version of this movie that is more interesting, and I think that's probably uh, true. But I think, I mean, like, you can definitely tell that, like, uh, not to be too broad about it, but that this is very much a woman's story told by... Uh, from a male point of view. Um, he does seem to be just like an ambassador for a different audience that this movie wanted to maybe expand to, right? Where it's just like, but you got Ryan Reynolds. Come on, you know, well, men and they or do, young people. He kind of, his journey is to like uh, kind of become more like actively engaged with his own Jewish heritage um, and like confronting the atrocity. Mm-hmm. And like his way of doing that is... Uh, to help her and like risk his whole career for like this cause for her. And then like in real life, he ended up becoming like a restitution lawyer. Right. Um, After making a fuck ton of money on this particular case, once it actually goes his way, spoiler alert. Um, And to tell uh, the vessel for that story, a story that I think is fundamentally Jewish. um, The, author of that story is ryan reynolds uh yeah yeah and i get it if you're trying to cast it as somebody who has lost touch with their jewish heritage that's just like how are we going to shorthand that well what's the who's the goyest actor out there it might as well be ryan gosling on that aspect except ryan gosling is a good actor. i was gonna say ryan gosling would have done a much much better uh thing i don't want to bag on ryan reynolds too much but like he's i get it i get it because it's like certainly they are kind of chasing a certain dynamic like you mentioned with philomena which was like steve coogan with uh judy dench but like um it doesn't make sense to me why this character isn't like a michael stolberg right sure yes um, the other, I, I mean, I think they wanted to cast somebody younger for, for like we said, the contrast. But also, I think I don't think the problem necessarily is that Reynolds is, you know, too young or doesn't seem Jewish enough, or also, or even to the point where it's not exactly that he's not good. It's that he projects comedy so much. You know what I mean? The he's, way that he projects he reads unseriousness. His line readings in every single movie with this way that's so like smarmy and proud of itself in a way that I like actively hate it all the time. He's, except for maybe the proposal. Yeah, he can be like he can be very, very well used. I think he's incredibly well used in a movie like Adventureland that asks him to be sort of slightly older and cool but in a way that you ultimately end up mistrusting for good reason like that's a really really smart way to use ryan reynolds whereas this movie i just feel like he as good of a performance as he can possibly muster in this he just reads wrong for the genre of the movie and it takes you out of it all the time 
like the archetype that it's relying on is more like Jimmy Stewart, right? And mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds does not have Jimmy Stewart in him. Right, right, exactly. But um, why don't we explain to the audience who uh, I'm imagining has not seen, largely has not seen Woman in Gold, uh, what this movie is with a little 60-second uh, plot description. Sure. Uh, so we are talking about, this week on This Head Oscar Buzz, the 2015 movie Woman in Gold. I love gold! Directed by Simon Curtis, written by Alexi K. Campbell, starring Helen Mirren, Ryan Reynolds, Daniel Bruhl, Tatiana Maslany, Katie Holmes, as mentioned, Max Irons, famous son of a wife, uh, Max Irons, uh, Charles Dance, Elizabeth McGovern, Jonathan Price, famous husband of a wife, and Francis Fisher. Uh, this premiered at the Berlin Film Festival on February 9th, 2015. It opened on April 1st, 2015, April Fool's Day. Uh, ominous beginnings to this movie. Chris, <laughs> are you ready to describe the plot of Woman in Gold. I certainly will try. All right, begin now. All right, the story follows um, the life of Maria Altman, who uh, escaped the Nazis from Vienna and then moved and started a new life in California. Uh, In the late 90s, she tried to... receive these very famous paintings back into her family name. They were taken by the Nazis, and then now they were uh, in a museum that didn't want to give them up. Shockingly, because it's the very famous uh, portrait of her aunt, Adele Bloch-Bauer, um, and several other paintings, including other portraits of her. Uh, the famous woman in gold painting seconds. that we all know. Anyway, Randy Schoenberg ends up being her lawyer, played by Ryan Reynolds. He ends up helping her, including leaving his case. Uh, it goes through all different types of arbitration, whether it was first in Vienna, then here in the States. It goes all the way to the Supreme Court, and then there is a um, uh, large court case, and it all ends up ruling in uh, Maria's favor. Ten seconds. Anything left to say in the ten seconds you have? Um, I mean, basically, Randy also goes through his own evolution too. Even though, like, his family is growing, and he uh, kind of gets more in touch with his Jewish. Uh, and that's time. I was sort of hoping you'd just like go into shout-outs for your extra ten seconds, like. <laughs> Shout out to my Tatiana Maslany facial blindness. <laughs> it took me I a second with her, too. Her. Like, I'm good at recognizing actors, <laughs> even if I can't remember their name. I'm like, oh, I know them from that. And, like, I get that that's been part of her thing. Well, right? and if you didn't watch her TV show, it's not like she's been in a ton of other things, right? So. Right. But she plays the young Maria. She's the young Maria. Who is in the flashbacks as she's escaping Vienna. Uh, just to clear up any confusion, uh, when I said Max Irons, famous son of a wife, I was not referring to Jeremy Irons as a wife. I was, of course, uh, referring to the movie The Wife, of oh which God. this is a pre-reunion Max Irons What if they Price. remade The Wife with Jeremy Irons as the wife? Well, that's a better movie. He wins the Oscar. <laughs> He wins his second Oscar, and Glenn Close has oh, a full I was nervous just breakdown. A fun little thing. You have to be the jerk. <laughs> just jerky thing. Look at you, famous jerk towards Glenn Close, accusing anybody else just of being a in jerk. That movie. <laughs> I like her in Hillbillyology. I know that you're you famously love her in Hillbillyology. I didn't love her in that movie. <laughs> I just you know I thought she was not the problem. Well, um, okay. What? So can we talk? All so many things in that movie are not the problem because the problem is is the the movie. The fact that it exists, yeah. I know. Yeah. Um speaking of the wife, yes. you just casually mentioned that Jonathan Price is in this. 
the most ghoulish thing about this movie it's playing Renquist. Jonathan Jonathan Price is just casually playing Chief Justice Renquist. <laughs> That's I was true. just like absolutely. I I couldn't tell who he was at first, and then when I realized it, I was like, oh no. Yeah. Well, this is one of the, you know one of those things where because it is based on a uh, a true story, you do get where like uh, Jonathan Price plays Chief Justice Rehnquist. Also, uh, uh, I can never pronounce this guy's name right. Moritz uh, Blaibetrow, who was I mostly know from. Uh, He's the guy in Run Lola Run, right? He's the boyfriend in Run Lola Run. Ah, uh, yes. And he plays uh, uh, Klimt in this in this movie. The painter of these very famous paintings. Right. Uh, very very briefly in this. This movie starts with an incredibly stressful moment for me because whenever I see anybody working with gold leaf, I feel so stressed out because I just the 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 secondhand frustration I feel of how frustrating it must be to work with gold leaf where you have to be like so incredibly delicate <laughs> and if like you like if you like breathe on it wrong you've totally like fucked it up and now it's stuck to something that it will never become unstuck to and it's just like I my my feeling about gold leaf whether it's used in art or whether it's used in like frequently in food which I find baffling like so much effort to go into something that Unlike chocolates. Right. It's just like, it's so, it looks so hard to work with. I just like, what is, truly, is it worth it? And ultimately, I come out the other side and I say no. I'm against Goldly. If I'm coming out of this podcast right now, I'm against it. (laughs) We are an anti-Goldly podcast. We are an anti-Goldly podcast. It is official. We have to put our foot down. Yeah. Anyway, that's how this movie starts. This movie is somewhat about just paintings automatically places it as a bit of a matinee movie yeah for the matinee crowd yeah because like movies about paintings like we've done and, but we've done at least puts one. it right in our wheelhouse too because unshockingly the academy takes such things seriously enough uh, as well where we have things like at eternity's gate for not really much reason being an oscar nominee at eternity's gate uh girl with a pearl earring our beloved Goya's Ghosts. What are other movies about paintings? I mean, Big Eyes. Big um, Eyes. Yes. Very true. Uh, uh, Tulip Fever is about tulips, but is also in several ways about a painting, about uh, somebody painting a portrait of somebody. There's, you know, many, many things. I, I, it is funny how, how many times somebody's just like, you know what would make a good movie? This static piece of artwork that I'm looking at <laughs> hanging on a wall that I was at like my rich like friend's house is just like well he's got enough money to finance a movie what can I interest him in hey what's about, what about this painting on your wall to the point where like there are some very very famous paintings that I'm kind of surprised aren't um aren't movies by now like the the I'm so bad with art, you guys. Like, I can't, anytime, any... The Da Vinci Code counts. <laughs> it sure does. Mona Lisa Smile also counts. Um, no, what's the painting where the guy's... Alec. Where the guy's face is... Is it an apple or is it a plum? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Magritte. I just know that that's a Magritte. Yeah. Uh, why isn't that a movie? Why isn't that The, the Empty Man? Because honestly, you know... It's scary. It's scary as an empty man. Anyway, Some we are digressing. Is and be like, that is not a Magritte. It's probably a Magritte. If it's not a Magritte, it should be a Magritte. I'm just going to say that, all right? Um, 
we are a we are an art podcast now this week. No, um, we're we're straying far afield of Woman in Gold. This is the thing about Woman in Gold. I I my attention drifted watching this movie several times. I was this movie was no match for my phone, and uh, in several it also probably uh, didn't help that uh, we watched this through our good friends at IMDb TV, and it has commercial breaks. However, oh, I watched it on the Roku time, channel, but also with the commercial breaks. But yes. Oh. <laughs> How were your commercial breaks on the Roku channel? We've talked about how IMDb TV will put the commercial breaks and Pluto at the most unwell times. And this actually felt right. Well, I think it made me also feel like this was a movie built to have commercial breaks. I think that's the thing. AMC. I think that's the thing. There's not a whole, not, not a whole lot of moments in this movie where I would be like devastated to have a commercial break interfere with my enjoyment of the movie. I feel like most times I'm like, you know what? I could do with a commercial break here. I could go get up and get a snack or pee or, you know, check my Instagram mentions or something like that. Just like something, anything really. Um, yeah. Hell of a way to spend a Saturday evening on the only life I will ever live on this planet watching uh, women in gold in the middle at the end of July. Anyway. Um, what do we, what do we think of, Mirren in this movie. I feel like we should start with Helen Mirren. She's the reason why this movie sort of qualifies for this podcast. She got the SAG nomination. Oh, yeah. She is she won, obviously, you know, won the Oscar for the Queen. She is a fully minted Oscar caliber actress to the point where almost anything unless it's totally out of genre is going to be have some kind of Oscar buzz because she is the lead in it, right? Mhm. This certainly qualifies, you know, uh, and I don't think she's bad in this. I actually like. No, I like her in I this mean, mode especially a lot. Like having the immediate uh, uh, comparison right there with Trumbo, right? Which she's where bad. She is bad yes. because everyone is bad in that movie. That movie is horrible. Yes. Um. You know, that definitely helps me look at this performance favorably. I mean, I think there's a lot of these Helen Mirren performances that, like, uh, you know, the awards establishment uh, always kind of uh, is willing to reward or at least recognize. And this one I maybe liked a little bit more than something like The Last Station. Um, Well, so, yeah, go ahead, finish your thought. Well, I was going to say there's a whole lot to this movie that is really even if any of it is based in fact that is still contrived like in terms of like maria's hesitation to like go along with things at a certain point because she doesn't it's very painful for her to return to vienna Mm -hmm. and like it's all movie business stuff right like you know certain obstacles that are overcome five minutes later you know that they're going to overcome them but I still felt from her performance like those things that felt very contrived on a movie level Mm -hmm. she did humanize them so the movie didn't seem so cynical Um, yeah she's she's sort of the anchor of the movie in that way I like her when she's in this mode where it's um, she obviously has a lot of gravitas she brings with her a lot of gravitas but she's also um she has a sort of there's a lightness to her personality i feel like something like the hundred foot journey feels similar to this in that mode that she's in can't wait to watch that um i really 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 like actually the hundred foot journey it it appeals to the best exotic marigold hotel fan in me but so i want to talk about 
sort of post-Oscar Helen Mirren, because she wins the Oscar for 2006's The Queen. She had been nominated a few times before then for The Madness of King George and for Gosford Park, and she was an incredibly respected actress, and that sort of very much was one of those, it's her time. It wasn't one of those, like, she's overdue. There's a little bit of a difference. We talk about the act, the act, the acting Oscars that feel like career achievements. Your, you know, Pacino's. Your, much as we think that Still Alice is a great movie and she deserved to win for that performance, people definitely that there was a career achievement aspect of Julianne Moore's Oscar mm-hmm. for that. But I think the a slight sort of lateral to that is the this is her year or this is his year. Uh, mm-hmm. Oscar, which is, it's not that, you know, they're so overdue, but like they are of a caliber that they should have an Oscar. And this is the moment where they're going to give, where we're going to give that to them. And I, th- I mean, like other similar people, it feels like uh, Sandra Bullock, uh, Forrest Whitaker are similar examples of this. Even Nicole Kidman in The Hours, honestly, where it was like where she had, you know, emerged from the divorce and she had her big year and it was just like, oh, this is her moment. And we're going to give her her moment. And um, which is not to denigrate performances that, you know, that were given uh, for these particular moments. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot going on. There's a lot, lot, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast this long, you know our feeling that, like, it's not just the performance that goes into winning an Oscar. There's a whole apparatus. And it doesn't mean that it's... usually not the performance. And it doesn't mean that that it's fraudulent, and it doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just there's context upon context upon context for all of these things. Right. I think she is good in The Queen. I think that she was up against better competition from several of those performances, maybe all of the other performances in that category that year where you're talking about Meryl in Devil Wears Prada and Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal and Kate Winslet in Little Children and Penelope Cruz in Volver I would probably put Helen fifth of five I would easily put her fifth and but I still think I don't it's like a good that per- movie either I think yeah I, I think it's okay I was I was with it if I express my full opinions about that movie I will uh, <laughs> you'll never be allowed in uh, in England again in the United States I will never be allowed on the Queen's internet um <laughs> Yeah, but I think you know, I think she's she's delivers a good performance, and again, it was her moment. So I think after that Oscar, the other thing about that Oscar was Helen Mirren had started to become a name that people knew, even if you weren't super into super into movies as we are. I feel like mm-hmm. the the leaping from movie consciousness to cultural consciousness is a big one, and a lot of the context of that was. Helen Mirren, woman in her 60s, rockin' bod. Helen Mirren, woman in her 60s, seems like kind of a badass, right? Like, that's sort of her... She would give these kind of, you know, cheeky speeches at award shows. She would get caught by paparazzi in a bikini in, like, fucking Mykonos or whatever. It certainly helped her Oscar chances and, like, her steamroll that season that she was giving a performance that she herself was nothing like. Right. It really enhanced the dowdiness of Queen Elizabeth II in that movie to know that, like, oh, Helen Mirren's not just some older woman. She's, like, hot and cool. And it's just like, oh, okay. Um, But I think it influences, in some ways, her career choices after the Queen, where not all of them, but, like, there's, there's a few different paths she takes, I think, with roles after the Queen. Some of them are... Um, functionaries in charge of shit 
in uh, kind of procedural stuff or bureaucratic stuff. I'm thinking uh, something like State of Play or um, the National Treasure movie. Movie or movies? I can't remember how many of those. I think she's just in the sequel, but I've never seen the sequel. I've wanted to watch those movies recently. Um, so there's that, go on. Uh, the debt, was it, which isn't like, the debt isn't exactly a bureaucratic role, but it's one of those where it just sort of like projects a kind of uh, authority there. It vaguely blurred with one of her other like type ca- typecasts that she's had or like roles she's taken on for herself in terms of her image of like slightly ironic action star like isn't it funny that it, that she's Mirren in red is holding a machine gun right we're talking about red we're talking about um the fast and the furious movies that she's in um i think something like eye in the sky which was the same year as women in gold falls into that first one of just sort of like she's a colonel in that movie she's you know she's in charge she's a you know woman in a man's world kind of a thing um i think some of the roles that she takes are this sort of Woman in Gold, 100 Foot Journey, uh, Leisure Seeker. I'm not entirely sure what her character is in the Leisure Seeker. She's seeking leisure. I mean, she is out in the world looking for leisure. Who among us? She is a she is a woman who goes places, experiences things. She's in a Winnebago in that movie, which really could have placed that movie within the Lady in a Van I mean, cinematic where else are you universe. You're gonna find leisure, but in a Winnebago. I truly okay. We talk about things that, like, seemed self-evident when we were children. And one of those things to me when I was a kid was, when I grow up, I want to live in a Winnebago. Because it seems so cool. It seems so cool (laughs) that, like, your house is also the thing you can, like, drive around in. I was also fascinated by the sheer... The sheer concept of a limousine seemed so incredibly extravagant to me Mm -hmm. that when my cousin got married when I was in high school i was like a freshman in high school maybe um and the whole family got invited to connecticut for the wedding and we were all staying at this one hotel and the hotel uh was going to like provide us like vans to the church and all of this it was a whole thing and so the hotel screwed up our reservation and we all had to go to at the last minute uh accommodations at a different hotel which honestly was like it was a chain. So it's like it's one hotel to the other one wasn't so bad. But because of their mistake, they arranged for limousines for all of us to go from the hotel to the church. So it was... So to you, this was excellent. You were living in high style. I was class. the fucking sultan I of Brunei in this thing where it was just like... And literally it was just like me and my family and our cousins and our aunt and uncle in a limo. Like that last the limo ride that lasted about 17 minutes max. And I was just You're like... You're exiting the limo, throwing glitter in the air with giant sunglasses, and dubstep starts magically playing. Well, and part and of it was, like, well, here. this wedding took place at a church in this like fairly like modest town center in West Hartford, Connecticut. And so, all of a sudden, like 10 limousines back to back to back, like start pulling up in front of this church. So, and normally it's just like, this is just sort of a pedestrian center and there are some shops around there and whatever. So all of the pedestrians, of course, go to look and see which fucking Kennedy is getting married at this particular church at this moment. And it was just like, so all of a sudden there are people looking at us. So yeah, I thought I was living the goddamn life of the rich and famous at that point. And it was, and so now I look back at that. It's like, this was several years before I would realize that like, 
idiot teens going to junior prom can also rent out a limo. Like, limos are not that cool, you know what I mean? The moment where you find out that limousines are not are something you can just, like, get for a few hundred dollars if you really scrounge around, it's just like, oh, okay, well then this is no longer, you know, quite so glamorous. This is just sort of wealth pageantry, you know what I mean? <laughs> it is a decent method to procure some leisure. It is. I will say, if you're looking for leisure, it's Winnebago 1, Limousine 2, and then... Jet Ski 3. <laughs> See, I guess, if that's your idea of leisure, then yes. That's uh, If you're seeking leisure on the, on the high seas, then yes. Um, but anyway, back to Mirren. I think the third track, then, is stuff that could conceivably get her more... Uh, awards and some and it's not always quite that like crassly cynical but like she gets the nomination for playing tolstoy's wife in the last station very much kind of a halo uh, nomination she loses to sandra bullock for um the blind side she's in the tempest uh uh what's her name julie tamor is the tempest which is totally ignored it's one of those things where it's just like it was costume nomination though. Right. Well, it had happened. Julie Tamar was sort of like on the, you know, on the ascent. The Lion King on this Broadway pre- was pre turn off the dark. Well, this is the thing. Is everything pre turn off the dark was like there was an ascent and then like across the universe happened and we were all I think kind of ready for across the universe to maybe be a big deal because like Julie Tamar's an artiste and the Beatles are so popular and that movie happened and everybody sort of like Huh. Like that's it has a massive following now, but like at the time, yeah. like the movie fully whiffed. And so I think then they were like, well, maybe the Tempest. And then the people saw the Tempest and they're like, well, I don't know what to make of that at all. So uh, that didn't happen. Um, she's in a few movies that sort of seem like they might go someplace, but they never actually really open, like Brighton Rock. Uh, I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. or Love Ranch, which is the movie that her husband, Taylor Hackford, directed. That's like her and Joe Pesci are running a brothel, a brothel in right? Reno, Nevada, which seems like an interesting idea, but like that movie never really released. And so no one saw it. I also didn't see it. Um, but then like she's Hitchcock's wife. I keep saying she's in these roles where she's like famous person's wife, but like it's true. She's Alma Reville. Reville almost gets nominated for it. She gets a. Is that another one where she got a SAG nomination? I think she got. See, here's the thing about Helen. Globe Mirren. and Helen SAG? Mirren has actually had some decent like brushes where it almost happens. Like yes. Trumbo, I think she had like two of the three major precursors. I'm looking up Hitchcock now. She got Golden I'm... Globe nomination. She got a Screen Actors Guild nomination. She got a and BAFTA, BAFTA nomination. Right? Yes. So she like, yeah, it's kind of, then, then it, that was the year where uh, Kovanjane Wallace and Emmanuel Riva kept winning critics stuff, but like missing at the mm-hmm. precursor awards. And I kept being like, it's going to happen. Just wait. I don't know why I was sticking to my gun so hard about this, but I was. I was. I was just like, don't worry about it. Like it's gonna happen, and it did. Ultimately, those two both got actress nominations, and it was bad news for Helen Mirren and uh, Marion Cotillard for um, the Rustin, Rustin Bone. The the the. But like the Hitchcock, it was movie. it was less surprising because like people, people didn't like enthusiastic it. Right. About it. <laughs> right. Like, 
it, Helen Mirren was getting the attention because she was the best thing about it and like the most agreed upon like best thing about it. However, she did get another major precursor nomination that we didn't mention, but we should because it is a major precursor. She got a best actress nomination with the movies for grownups. That's important to note, and I'm glad that you noted it and uh, put it on the record. The thing about Hitchcock was, Hitchcock is one of the great This Works on Paper movies, and it worked so much on paper that people were really, really hesitant to give up on it, even though the fact that nobody who saw it liked it all that much. But like a movie about one of the great Hollywood directors starring Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren and Scarlett Johansson and this like all-star Tony cast Collette. Tony Collette right uh and nobody really liked it all that much and yet it kept getting pushed hard for Oscars and Mirren got all of those precursors and then it just didn't happen and so then you're right she gets a Golden Globe nomination I think well deserved for the Hunted for Journey even though nobody but me saw that movie um and then here comes 2015 so once again Trumbo works Oh, well, on paper. Like, it's one of those ones where you look at that ahead of time and nobody feels, nobody thinks that Jay Roach is some kind of, like, visionary director, but he's an incredibly successful mainstream director. So, like, there was no reason to think, like, like that was going to be a problem. And it was starring Brian Cranston, who at that time was, like, the most popular actor on television because of Breaking Bad. And it was about... Hollywood and Hollywood fucking loves Hollywood and it was about a writer who was blacklisted and so Hollywood really loves movies where Hollywood can talk about uh you know political issues and paint itself as you know the battleground of sort of great in- issues of great national importance. So well and it's also like the like uh emotional peak of that movie is he wins an Oscar right. after getting black. Right, right, right. So, like, truly, everybody, I think, with very good reason, had an eye on this uh, for big uh, awards season success. Helen Mirren plays Hedda Hopper, where if you are uh, listening to, you must remember this, obviously, uh, you know Hedda Hopper is one of the two great gossip columnists of her era, uh, wildly uh, right-wing and politically toxic and eager to ferret out communists and all this sort of stuff. So uh, obviously a big spotlight role for Mirren. She is bad in the movie. Brian Cranston is terrible <laughs> in the movie. And I like, you know, I know like especially for people who didn't really get into Breaking Bad, there's a lot, there's a big sort of like, what is the big deal with this guy kind of a thing. I like Brian Cranston. I think he works well in a lot of contexts. He's legitimately awful as Dalton Trumbo in this movie. It's a terrible movie. It really, really is. Horrible. And yet, again, she gets a Golden Globe nomination. Like, first of all, Cranston runs the table and gets an Oscar nomination. And we can all sit quietly and reflect on that for as long as we need to that that happened but it happened again sometimes these movies that are good on paper are good enough on paper that they ride the storm of bad buzz all the way to a nomination she almost does as well globe nomination sag nomination the double double sag nomination because she's nominated for sag for uh, women in gold and i unlike my very very correct uh, 
predictions about Emmanuel Riva and Kovanjane Wallace, I was like, well, Mirren's obviously getting nominated. Like, let's all just make our peace with this now. We don't like this performance, <laughs> but like, it's going to happen. And I didn't think. But for Trumbo. Right, for Trumbo. Sorry. I, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought that's where we were still uh, on that subject. Anyway, I didn't think Rachel McAdams in Spotlight was going to happen. And so that, to my great and wonderful surprise, did happen. Rachel McAdams does get a nomination at the expense of Helen Mirren, and good for everybody for that. So 2015 Oscar nominations were a real mixed bag. That was, of course, the year that uh, uh, we uh, Oscars So White got coined. So, like, <laughs> a lot of not great that year. But also Mad Max Free Road and Rachel McAdams. So there was uh, some stuff, some good stuff that happened that year. After that, Chris, what's the one movie she makes in 2016? Uh, well, Eye in the Sky gets released in 2016. Right. Makes a good chunk of money. That's a decent uh, movie. I like Eye in the Sky. It's engaging. It's not It great. really showed, I mean, I think with Woman in Gold in that movie, it really showed that Helen Mirren does have an audience that she draws in. Yeah. And it's like, might not make $100 million, but like right. she has an audience that like yeah. will like show up for her. Um, but she also was uh, one of the many people in uh, Cinematic Masterpiece, um, Collateral Beauty. What was her little uh, function in that movie? What was she playing? She was playing the ghost of Christmas what? She was... Death. She's not time. She's death. Right. Yes. The, the, the gag of that movie is Helen Mirren, Kira Knightley, and Jacob Lattimore play people who are also concepts. But are they? Um, They're also off-Broadway actors. Don't spoil it for them, Chris. Maybe they want to see Collateral okay, Beauty. Okay, this is we're not getting into the full Collateral Beauty. We are saving that episode for a very, very special occasion. It is not a spoiler. It is not a spoiler. The reason you think it's a spoiler is because the trailer made it seem like they were actually ethereal people. And what the movie is about, this is in the first act of the movie these actors are hired to pretend to be these constructs to gaslight will smith out of his company all i am gonna say is it's not a spoiler it's just the trailer made you think that it is actually a mystical movie i first watched this movie because my good and wonderful friend ashton whose birthday upon which we are recording this podcast so happy birthday ashton forced me to watch this movie knowing as little about it as possible and i was like but i i could very easily find out and he's just like no we're watching it this weekend and don't don't know anything about it and so knowing very little about it beyond just sort of watching the trailer was kind of fantastic because guys so much happens in that movie we, we will totally there's get so much it collateral, collateral beauty, beauty all right yeah yeah, yeah all right anyway um, after Collateral Beauty, again, she joins the Fast and the Furious franchise. She makes a movie called The Leisure Seeker, where she goes and seeks some leisure. Um, she's in Winchester. Does anybody really see Winchester? It's a horror. I think that was like a January horror movie yeah. or like the Labor Day horror movie. She she is one of, uh, there's a, not only has she sought some leisure in movies, there is a movie where she seeks out all of the four realms. She does do that in the Nutcracker. The movie realms. that asks truly the bravest question of our time, what if there were four realms? She's in a movie that, to the best of my knowledge, is still up for a Saturn Award, because I don't think they've handed out those Saturn Awards, which is The Good Liar. We talked about uh, this 
a few weeks ago that somehow The Good Liar is a Saturn Award nominee, which I saw in theater. And because it was the end of 2019 that I saw that movie, it ended up being one of a handful of the last movies I saw in a theater before the pandemic hit, because uh, I normally go sort of light on seeing movies at the beginning part of a year because the Oscars have so totally, you know, worn me out. Sucked up your life. And so it was probably like in the last 10 movies I saw in a theater before uh, the pandemic hit. And The Good Liar is actually kind of fun. Like the secret of The Good Liar is it's actually kind of a trashy thriller um, well, in a way. Bill Condon is very underrated for knowing what medium he's working in knowing sort of what realm he's working right. in. And he's pretty malleable about that kind of thing. He he adapted, I think, really well to the Twilight universe in his two Twilight movies. He did a very good job, I think, with Dreamgirls. I think his one... I was going to say, he, much like Rob Marshall, have directed one of the very best and one of the very worst screen musicals of our time. Wait, what's his very worst? Oh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, right. I, I never think about that as a musical. But yes, you're totally right. It is. And yeah, it's terrible. Um, Beauty and the Beast and, and then Fifth everybody is always underrating how great Dreamgirls is. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast and The Fifth Estate are his probably two worst movies. And because they're two of her, his last four uh, most recent movies, that's too bad. Um, he does keep working with Ian McKellen. And one of these days... Ian McKellen's got to win an Oscar before he dies, right? Like, that's got to happen. Can we please? I don't think that's going to happen, to be oh, honest. That's such a bummer. Christopher Plummer did. I don't know. Um, yeah, but different roles. Ian McKellen's not doing Christopher Plummer's roles. I also want to shout out Helen Mirren's single scene in F9, which, A, is super fun. She gets to, you know, she gets to drive a car. The thing about the Fast and the Furious franchise that I love is... They are incredibly generous with knowing that, like, getting to drive a car in an action scene in one of their movies is a cool thing for an actor to be able to do. And so they'll sort of bestow these scenes uh, on an actor who's maybe, like, newer to the franchise. And you sort of maybe have to work up to it a little bit. And, like, in this movie, F9, they're like, Helen Mirren your driving scene. Natalie Emanuel, your driving scene. And it's just like, and it's like, it's cool. And also, Helen Mirren and Vin Diesel have legit great chemistry together. And I'm just going to say that. And just... She loves making those movies. She loves making those she movies. Says that she's love making But like, movies. she and Vin Diesel should have a movie where they kiss, is all I'm going to say. Maybe not in the Fast movies, because, you know, he's very loyal to Letty. But something. Make it happen. I'm, I'm just saying. Did I text you the day that I watched Lee Daniels' Shadow Boxer, which Helen <laughs> Mirren is did. in? I think you did. I think you did. Talk about seeking some leisure. They, <laughs> she's not only seeking leisure, she's seeking pleasure in that movie. That movie is one of the most fucking bizarre things I have ever seen. Um... It, I, I, I feel like I have to spoil it. Okay, spoil so she... It. I'm not going to see Shadowboxer. Spoil it. She and Cuba Gooding Jr. are lovers who are also criminals who... She was his stepmother, 
but like her journey ends in the movie with them fucking because she's like dying she has like terminal cancer and she decides that she wants to die by fucking what and he they're having sex and like when she has her orgasm he shoots her in the head <laughs> i thought you were gonna say she dies of like a cancer or ecstasy no, or something no. no it's it's and that is the tip of the iceberg oh, of boy. that movie um oh boy that movie is wild um, Hel- but that's the thing about Helen Mirren too, and why I think to bring it back to what you were saying of it didn't feel like her narrative was ever overdue. It was it's her time. Yeah. That's because like before she kind of got into these more like stodgy, like uh, you know, not even meat and potatoes, but like oatmeal and sugar <laughs> movies like Woman in Gold. Um, is like she did have kind of this evolving career like there was the prime suspect stuff right. which you know was probably the most like finger quotes uh, mainstream or boring yeah. like that people but, love like, those she... things though like that's the thing is like i don't even think you can call them boring like mainstream definitely but like people who are like pbs people fucking love those prime suspects right but like she came into a lot of popularity and prominence doing like movies with Peter Greenaway where she's fucking right. naked the whole time right. and like she and like weirder stuff like Excalibur so right the cook that she's his always wife and been lover, down kind of for something yeah. a little left of center or you know something silly like a Fast and Furious movie right um, that's why that's have to yeah. share a second to talk about teaching Mrs. Tingle yeah no I think that's I think that's all part of that thing and I think that's a big reason why we love her and yet while doing that she can also lay it down and play both Queen Elizabeth the first and Queen Elizabeth the second in different projects she can be you know an incredibly sort of like buttoned up maid in Gosford Park and then like out of nowhere deliver the best scene in the entire movie and like there's a reason why she has a ton of respect and I think post Oscar because her projects have gotten there's you know the the median sort of high water level for those projects isn't really super great and I think maybe we've taken for granted that she is as good as she is and part of that maybe Mm -hmm. is you know the movies that she's decided to be in and that's fine but I think she's an incredibly interesting act we don't have a whole ton of actors of her stature and prominence doing the stuff that she does and I think that's cool I mean, uh, again, to bring it back to Woman Gold a little bit, like, of those type of, like, performances, I actually think she's good in this movie. Oh, I do, too. She's she's the most interesting thing about it. Because, she's the like, reason to see this movie. Because, it is kind of the boring version you expect it to be. Yeah. It is very much structured like the, a movie you've seen before. But, like, I don't know. She, uh, like, her her emotion kind of undercuts that in a way that's a little bit more complicated than you might expect there's just on a performance level there's a glint in her eye and yet also she's able to really communicate the gravity of what this woman is feeling which is this sort of great Mm -hmm. sense of betrayal that her home nation has treated her and her family so poorly after also the even greater betrayal of you know what happened in the holocaust and what you know happened to her people in the holocaust and that whole kind of Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think she communicates all that, you know, 
incredibly well. We haven't talked too much about the fact that this is a Simon Curtis movie. And <laughs> he's somebody who comes out of the theater and has uh, directed, you know, some television stuff and Shakespeare adaptations and the requisite, you know, Cranford uh, miniseries and whatever. Um, then I think his first is my week with Marilyn, his first feature film directing. Yes. Which is crazy. Um, I don't love that movie, but it is a wild success with, with Oscars. Uh, it gets nominations for uh, Michelle Williams and Kenneth Branagh. And do no Viola Davis was definitely second that year for the help. But I have a feeling that like Michelle Williams was probably third place that year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that was a, that was a year that was, I don't think you get Meryl Streep winning for the iron lady. If it's not close between three people. Yeah. I think even though she's Meryl, even though all that, that movie, that movie, I, there was uh, Iron Lady, not to get off on another tangent, but, like, you talk about sometimes, like, having face blindness. Like, I, the appeal of that movie to other people eludes me so greatly that, like, I would, I, all through that season, I was like, well, yeah, but Meryl's not going to win, though. Like, not for this. Like, we, you know, she's going to, she'll come close, but, like, Viola Davis is going to win this Oscar, and Meryl will win it for the next one, as we've been saying for the last, like, ten nominations. Mm-hmm. And she ended up winning, and I love her so much, and I loved that speech so much, that all, automatically I was just like, well, good for her. <laughs> but... I just, I couldn't believe that it was going to happen for that movie because I couldn't quite understand why anybody would love that movie or love her performance in that movie. Or that performance. Right. It's, ooh, gosh. I don't know. Um, But anyway, Simon Curtis, My Week with Marilyn. Simon Curtis, though, is trying to come for Lassa Hallstrom's gift because he did also direct a movie narrated by a dog. The Art of Racing in the Rain? Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yes. He also directs... He and Lassa Hallstrom are going to battle out here. Listen, I like Lassa's chances, but Simon Curtis has been, you know, nipping at his heels. He directs a movie also called Goodbye, Christopher Robin that... Which no one saw. Well, here's... I mean, I joked about this earlier about The Woman in Gold, but I'm like, I really mean it here. I don't know if I've seen this movie. And part of it is that there was also a movie about Christopher Robin played by Ewan McGregor that I did see, that I definitely did see. I'm pretty sure see. this is also the same year or very close to the Tolkien movie. Which I didn't see. With Nicholas Holt, that was terrible. So, um, Donald Gleason in this plays A.A. A. Milne, author of Winnie the Pooh. Margot Robbie plays his wife. Kelly McDonald's in this movie. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is in this movie. Alex Lothar, there's some like people in this movie. I would probably remember if I saw this movie. I do love Donald Gleason that much. I happened though and and i don't (laughs) want to like it just seems the wild thing is that was a searchlight movie and like even by searchlight like they don't usually bury movies and they just kind of it also seems like the exact same story as finding neverland a movie i found incredibly boring and i don't want to do that again so i'm probably not gonna but um right so the next movie 
for Simon Curtis. It seems like they're making another Downton Abbey movie, which makes a ton of sense because there's an audience for that. And why wouldn't you? Yeah, the first one made so much money. Who directed the first one? Mm, was it Julian Fellows? No. Julian Fellows, who all throughout Gosford Park, all throughout Downton Abbey, I always think of Brian Fellows. <laughs> from Night yeah, uh, uh, Julian Fellows only wrote those. Michael Engler directed the first Downton Abbey, so Simon Curtis will be directing the second one. I don't think there's a ton directorially in Women in Gold that I feel like merits a whole ton of mention. It's fine. I mean, it's fine. It's of the two movies of his that I have seen. It is the better directed movie. Um, yeah, I would say I would say that that's probably true. This and, and I don't think he that. has any type of perspective on this material that you know is yeah. all that unique or original or insightful. I do kind of like the restraint that it had. You compared it to Philomena, and like you think a lot of these like cute quirky old lady movies like mm. i kind of liked the bits where like she's in her shop you know selling sweaters and such yeah, and, yes. and like i did feel like there was a little bit restraint that i was like okay this movie's not amazing but an even lesser movie would be like look at this weird lady in her shop you know what yeah I'm saying? i think also though the philomena comparisons i'm thinking of the part where like they're in the car on the way to the airport and she's just like i want to go to duty free and and get uh, perfume and cognac and um, I was like, oh, this is very Philomena. And I was like, for as much as Stephen Frears can run hot and cold, I think Stephen Frears would have done a very good job with this movie. With this, sure. You know? Um, I want to dip into the Weinstein Company for a second because, and we don't really have to like get super into it, but like it really was in bad financial straits at this moment. And... Mm-hmm. Um, at, while at the same time, Harvey Weinstein keeps making all these overtures to, like, I want to buy Miramax back and, like, merge the two mm-hmm. companies once again. <laughs> it seems like everybody... These flexes, the, because everybody knows that the company Right, is everybody in the industry is just like, dying. you don't have any money. Like, you're more apt to be sold yourself rather than, like, to sell it. And they keep, like, selling off their, like, film library at this point, and just nothing is going well. But at the same time... Because I think the machine of it is running on rails a little bit. Like, it had just gotten a bunch of awards, award nominations for The Imitation Game. Wins a screenplay award for The Imitation Game. And... Famously one of the most cringy Oscar campaigns ever. Right, but it worked. Honor the man, honor the film. But it worked is the thing. Like, that's the crazy thing. And so... Well, people are stupid. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you, we mentioned before, like the same year, they've got Carol, which doesn't get a Best Picture nomination, but does get six, you know, Oscar nominations, which is not nothing. Hateful Eight gets a couple ones and wins a big one. So, like, even as the company is like circling the drain, they that awards apparatus is still strong and can still get some stuff done. But we are like under two years from the Weinstein Company going kaput, and again, a big part of that was the allegations coming to light about Harvey Weinstein, but like it was not it a is healthy worth company. Mentioning though that under. like even without the allegations, the company could have yes. completely gone. It probably it was headed in that direction. It probably was gonna get sold to someone. It probably wouldn't be gone. It would probably be owned by a bigger company now, but because the Weinstein name wouldn't have been, you know, toxic. But once it became toxic, there was no upside to anybody uh, owning it yeah. anymore. 
Anyway. This year, though, like, especially in comparison to Woman in Gold, it's no surprise that, like, Woman in Gold could come back around because it is in that position to, like, be the first screener out to people. But, like, financially, it was like, what the hell was going on? Because they do this whole huge, expensive 70-millimeter rollout for Tarantino. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, like, Carol hasn't expanded its release after two months at all. It was... So... It's also the year of burnt, by the way. <laughs> oh, I realize. Wait, so I'm going to ask you to sort of tab out of your Weinstein Company uh, Wikipedia page for a second. I realized that we haven't played a game of Alter Egos in a while, and I wanted to. So I love Alter Egos. I came up with a little round of Alter Egos for you. That is, of course, the game where I name three movie roles, and I ask Chris to name the movie that the actors who played all those roles are in together. Um theme for this uh, installment of Alter Egos is the Weinstein Company, which is why I don't want you to have a list of Weinstein titles in front of you while you play. Oh, okay. Um, I think I have, what, 11 or 12 or something of these. We'll see. I don't know. I always am a bad judge of how easy or difficult these are going to be. So, you know, do the best that you can. I think I have uh, great confidence in you. Ready? Sure. All right. So once again, listener, I will give Chris three movie roles. He will then figure out who played those roles and what movie all three of those actors were in together. First one, Queen Elizabeth I, J. Edgar Hoover, and Harlan Pepper. Uh, There could be a few different options here. J. Edgar Hoover, I'm going to guess, is um, Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, Queen Elizabeth I, I'm just going to guess, is Kate Blanchett, and we are talking about The Aviator? No. Although that's Miramax. That is Miramax. Um, no, not The Aviator. Are my actors right? No. Judy Dench for Queen Elizabeth I. That is correct. With Leonardo DiCaprio as J. Edgar. What were they in besides J. Edgar? Uh, it's not J. Edgar. And it's maybe not DiCaprio. So a Judy, this is, is this um, Philomena? No, it's not Philomena. So the actor who played. Famously, DiCaprio and uh, Judy Dent were in Philomania together. That's right. No, um, a few people have played J. Edgar Hoover over the years. Um, This one was from the movie Nixon. Oh, okay. Who's J. Edgar Hoover in that? But it's not, I mean, it's not Steve Coogan, because I guess Philomena, Judy Dench, Nixon. Also, Harlan Pepper is your third one, who... Yeah, and I know that name, but I don't know that name. Yeah. Um, J. Edgar Hoover in Nixon is played by a sort of character actor who had a sort of brief Oscar dalliance in the 1980s. He had sort of a brief window where Oscar smiled upon him in the 80s. He has at least one very, very well-known role in a very popular uh, late 80s movie that blends animation and real-life action. Oh, Bob Hoskins. This is Mrs. Henderson Presents. This is Mrs. Henderson Presents. Yes. Queen Elizabeth I is Judy Dench. J. Edgar Hoover is Bob Hoskins. Harlan Pepper is Christopher Guest in... Oh, <laughs> Best in, in Show. Best in Show. Yes. <laughs> Correct. All right. Next one. Queen Elizabeth I, John Connor, and Q. Well, problem is there are a lot 
of John Connors at this point. Um, so Queen Elizabeth I, I'm just going to guess that that one is Kate Blanchett. Uh-huh. Which John Connor do I want to guess? Do I want to guess Christian Bale? Do I want to guess whoever was in Genesis? Uh, huh. Probably not Edward Furlong. Gonna go out on a limb and say it's not Edward Furlong. <laughs> no great Chris, um, uh, Kate Blanchett, Edward Furlong collabs? <laughs> Q, Q would be Ben Wishaw. Is, oh no, this is, um, it is Christian Bale, it's I'm Not There. It's I'm Not There. Very good. Todd Haynes is I'm Not There. Uh, you got him all right. Okay, next one. Mark Darcy... Linda Partridge, Charles Stoker. Okay, this is um, Mark Darcy is Colin Firth, obviously. In? Um, Linda Partridge, I know. Mark Darcy in what? Just for our listeners. Uh, Bridget Jones' Diary. Bridget Jones' Diary, yes. Um, What was the third one? Charles Stoker. Is that Matthew Good? It is. Colin Firth, Matthew Good. This is a single man. This is a single man. Who's Linda Partridge is um, Julianne Moore in uh, Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio. Nah, not that one. Nope. No. Linda Partridge is one. Julianne Moore in Magnolia. Shame on you! Shame on you! Magnolia. Duh. Duh, 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 duh. All right, next one. Your roles are Murph, Robbie Turner, and Amanda Waller. <laughs> this is Jessica Chastain is Murph. Um, what was the second one? Robbie Turner, that's Atonement. This is the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. The disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. Robbie Turner, one of my favorite tidbits about Robbie Turner, the main character in Atonement, is uh, James McAvoy's character in Atonement, is that that's who drag queen Robbie Turner from season eight of Drag Race named his character actor. Because <laughs> after Robbie Turner from Atonement, I wanted to like her so much, and then she just turned out to be a disaster. Um, Amanda Waller is Viola Davis in uh, Suicide Squad. Yes. So there's that. All right, next one. Renaldo Arenas, Sofia Serrano, and Christine Chubbuck. I know all of these. They're right there, and I can't think of them. Renaldo Arenas is um, Javier Bardem in Before Night Falls. Yes. Um... What are my other two? Sophia Serrano and Christine Chubbuck. Ooh, Christine Chubbuck is a, like, journalism movie. Yes. What is the journalism movie? It's kind of right Have there. Have we covered this it's, movie? No, but it's kind of right there for you. Huh. It's right there. <laughs> Um, say it. Christine Chubbuck. Yeah, it was right there. Journal, the journalist. Nope. Is the movie called? Nope. Is the movie called Journalism? Nope. Say your name again. Christine Chubbuck. It's right there. Huh? You said it. Christine. Oh, um, 
It's uh, it's Rebecca Hall. Yes. This is Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yes! Oh my god, I was gonna, like scream. I was just like, for God's sake, you keep saying it. <laughs> Any guess on Sofia Serrano, knowing that it's Vicky that Cristina Barcelona? That is, um, I, I guess you're going off of billing order. Is this? Is Penelope billed above Scarlett Johansson? Oh, it's not necessarily the top three billed. I'm just picking, you know, three prominent actors who I think uh, have good characters for you. So I left what out is Scarlett Sophia Johansson. Serrano? Sophia Serrano is Penelope Cruz in Vanilla Sky, of course. Okay. All right, next one. Elizabeth Swan, Bruce Banner, and Maddie Ross. Okay, Bruce Banner is either Edward Norton or Eric Bana. Or Mark Ruffalo. Can't believe Mark Ruffalo was my third for that one. Nor can um, I. Jesus. First name was familiar. What was that? Elizabeth Swan. Elizabeth Swan, which I should know this. Elizabeth Swan, whenever I hear the name Elizabeth Swan, my mind always goes to uh, the Theranos woman. <laughs> Who is uh, Elizabeth Holmes? Right. Mira Sorvino's right, greatest but... character. Yeah, so new one has to lose a loved one too soon. Um, uh, who is Elizabeth Swan? In a movie with... Elizabeth Swan is played by an actress who also had an incredibly uh, famous role where she played another Elizabeth, although not a queen. But a famous so not a character queen. of literature. Oh, um, is it Carrie Mulligan? No, but you're really in the right ballpark. Is it Kira Knightley? Yes. Okay, Kira Knightley. Oh, this is Begin Again. This is Begin Again. Elizabeth Swan is Kira Knightley in. Um, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Oh, okay. Bruce Banner <laughs> is. Uh, Mark Ruffalo in the Avengers movies. And Maddie Ross is... Oh, oh, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. Yeah. All right, next one. Brian Fantana, Rita Repulsa, and Summer. Elizabeth Banks is Rita Repulsa. Yes. Summer is Zoe Deschanel. In 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. The hell movie were they in together? What was the first name? Brian Fantana. Oh, that's familiar. Yeah. This isn't like Zack and Miri make a porno, is it? It's not. Although I think that is a Weinstein Company movie. Okay. And you're in the right genre for the movie. Elizabeth Banks. Um, what's another role I can give you instead of Brian Fantana? Scott Lang? Does that help you? No. Hold on. Brian Fantana, I know, is one that I should know. It is. It's in the same genre as the movie in question is. Right. It's, it's some type of comedy. Yeah. Um, he's part of a sort of notable squad in in uh is he one of the anchorman people yes is it paul rudd yes problem is i don't know if this is going to help me get what the movie is paul rudd elizabeth banks zoe Zoe deschanel Deschanel. 
All of those like Paul Ruddy romantic comedies kind of blur together. Hold on, let me see if I can get anybody else from the movie. Oh, um, Agatha Harkness. Agatha Harkness. That's some Hunger Games shit. Um, God. Oh, watch Marvel things. Jesus Christ. Um. Oh, is this Catherine Hahn? Yes. It used to be so much more fun to be a Catherine Hahn. Fan. Oh, shut up. Um, um, Jane Banks. Diane Keaton. No. Oh, you're thinking of uh, Father of the Bride. Father of the Bride. It's uh, I want to say her name is Nina Banks in that. Ah, uh, yes, George and Nina. No, um, Jane Banks. Oh God, why did none of these actresses have notable? what is this movie i'm not gonna get it it's our it's our idiot brother an incredibly incredibly talented cast in our idiot brother jane banks is emily mortimer in mary poppins returns ah yes paul rudd elizabeth banks zoe deschanel emily mortimer Catherine hahn shirley knight's in this movie hugh dancy's in this movie Rashida Under Jones. no circumstances did I remember that our idiot brother rem- exists. All right. It's a good movie. I liked it. All right. Uh, next one. Charity Barnum, Prince Hamlet, and Tom Hayden. Charity Barnum, Prince, Prince Hamlet, and what was the third? Tom Hayden. Tom Hayden. Charity Barnum is Michelle Williams. Yes. Um, Prince Hamlet means it's either mel gibson kenneth branagh or ethan hawk i'm gonna guess it's kenneth branagh and say it's my week with Marilyn. it is my week with Marilyn. tom hayden is eddie redmayne in trial of chicago 7 all right next one next one is hard which i know is funny to say after you struggled so much with our idiot brother okay um fanny braun Marilyn barnett and duke leto atreides oh Okay, so I'm going to know what some of the... Fanny Braun, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. Um, uh, did we just do a movie with Fanny Braun? No, but we just did a movie with one of these other ones. Oh, okay. Atreides is Dune. What's the middle name? Marilyn Barnett. Marilyn Barnett, so that's the one that we've done an episode on. Uh, great. Yeah. Can't remember it. Um, this actress, this was the the best possible option for this actress and like she does not have memorable character names unfortunately even though she's a great actress is it chastain it's not chastain what did we do before that one um uh is it sarandon no what did we do before that one (laughs) uh emma stone right movie but wrong actress sarah silverman nope andrea riseborough yes um it's gotta be oh no fanny braun fanny braun is bright star which i just watched again yeah it it is um this is we this is (laughs) we fanny braun is abby cornish in bright star marilyn barnett is andrea riseborough in battle of the sexes duke leto atreides is of course oscar isaac in the upcoming dune that is we all right oscar isaac is daddy dickie greenleaf nina sayers and evelyn carnahan Nina Sayers is Natalie Portman. Yep. Dickie Greenleaf is... Oh, fuck. I just had it and I lost it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is uh, Jude Law. Jude Law, Natalie Portman. Dickie Greenleaf, Jude Law in Talented Mr. Ripley. Nina Sayers uh. is Black Swan. 
This is, is this my Blueberry Nights and you don't have a character name for Nora Jones because she didn't do another movie? That's absolutely correct is what's going on there. Yes. <laughs> Evelyn Carnahan is Rachel Weiss in the Mummy movies. Yes. All right. Louisa Contini, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. Um, that is uh, Jeremy Renner played Je- Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, Louisa Contini is Marion Cotillard. In Nine. What was the third name? Because I can't remember a movie they did together. Jesus Christ is the very forgettable third name that you couldn't oh, think okay. of. <laughs> um, ben Kavitzel or Jim Kavitzel? <laughs> Jim Kavitzel's brother, Ben, who is now taking uh, Hollywood by storm. <laughs> um, Joaquin Phoenix? Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, oh, this is The Immigrant. I love The Immigrant. I didn't, but you're right. Okay, last one. President Jackson Evans, Sister Aloysius Bouvier, and Bombalarina. Uh, Bombalarina is Taylor Swift. In Cats. Um, and uh, Sister Aloysius is Meryl Streep. This is The Giver. <laughs> yes. Any guesses as to who President Jackson Evans is? Uh, Jeff Bridges. In Book? The Contender. That is his Oscar-nominated oh, yeah. role in The He's Contender. So good. Yes, classic Jeff Bridges, Meryl Streep, Taylor Swift movie, The Giver. All right, that is Alter Ego. Sorry, I thought that was easier. I always kind of so do. Think I, we also haven't played this game in a while, so I'm a little rusty. All right, um, let's talk about uh, the, our baby Daniel Brule in this movie, who's not in it much, but can we talk about the indignity of? Daniel Brühl is billed above the title <laughs> on the poster. And who isn't? Katie, Katie Holmes. Holmes. Well, okay, to be fair, Katie Holmes' role in this movie is she's going to fold a little laundry. She's going to be momentarily sort of peeved at how much time her husband is spending on this case. And then she's going to make a sharp right turn as she goes into labor for to being supportive of uh, Ryan Reynolds' involvement in this case. And that's basically it for her character. To be fair to my point, Daniel Brühl has even less screen time <laughs> than that. But Daniel Brühl has the all-important exposition scenes. And I feel like that is, right. uh, he's the one who's like, picture it, Vienna, 1938, you know, that kind of a thing. And uh, I mean, yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of emotional lifting to do in this movie. But uh, this was... And then at the payoff, when they finally win the arbitration and, you know, uh, Maria's family gets to have the paintings back, Ryan Reynolds looks at Daniel Brühl and is like, we couldn't have done this without you. And it's like, maybe in real life you couldn't have, (laughs) but, like, in the movie... I know. I kind of liked their bromance. Listen, they went to the, uh, the, the symphony together. It's true. It was nice. Oh my god, because his last name is Schoenberg and they show up at like the box office or something and like, you have the same last name as the composer tonight and it's like, okay. It's his grandfather. They're talking about his grandfather. We know. We know. Alright. Um, yeah, Brule had been so, so close to an Oscar nomination just two years prior to this for Rush. I've always felt bad that uh, that it didn't happen for him there, even though I mean, I liked that performance, but, like, I wasn't, like, such a Rush fan that I was, like, crushed that he didn't get that nomination. But, you know, that's too bad. Who did get that? Who was the surprise 2013 nominee? 
Was it Michael Shannon? For what? No, that's no. 2016. So 2013, I'm going to try and get this without... Uh, without uh, Jared Leto wins for the Dallas Buyers Club. Barkat Abdi and Daniel Brühl, I feel like we're always in the mix in, on the same level as like, you know, sort of new faces that we're going to maybe pop into... Uh, the thing I guess maybe we weren't totally sure that Bradley Cooper was a get, was going to get nominated for uh, for what you call it American Hustle American Hustle that's probably what the surprise is because what am I forgetting now I'm looking it up just because I can't because it's Fassbender Abdi Cooper right Bra- uh, Michael Fassbender for Twelve Years a Slave was always going please to get don't nominated. tell me it was Will Forte for Nebraska. No, they he, tried it. They tried it, but it didn't happen. Um, who are we forgetting? Oh, you know who it was, and it was a late breaker. It was one of the. It was an actor who, uh, for the second time, got a nomination after not having a whole ton of precursor support. Although I think the one previously he had more precursor support. Was ju- See, I remembered the narrative because that's why I was like, "Was it Michael Shannon?" Um, it's Jonah Hill. But it's like a Michael Shannon. It's right? Jonah Hill for what Wolf of Wall Street. That's right. One of my least favorite nominations of the last 20 years. I really, oh, I think he's good in the movie. Uh, I like that nomination more than I like his Moneyball nomination. Oh, I'm totally the opposite. I think he's I think he's really good in Moneyball. And I also get the whole, like, the novelty of it. It was just like, oh, we didn't know that, like, Jonah Hill could, you know, uh, not be a pure goofball and still be in a movie. Whereas, like, Wolf of Wall Street is just like, yes, he's grotesque in the teeth and whatever, and he's cursing, and it's just, it's, it's the same kind of thing to me but but slightly worse as uh the mark Wahlberg nomination for the departed where it's just like Ugh. yeah like we you know i don't know i find of it so obnoxious actors you could nominate in the departed Ugh. i know but people love that nomination and people love the fucking jonah hill wolf of wall street nomination and i find them both the same kind of degree of if the people who <laughs> not to bring this into it but like truly if the actors and actresses, and it's mostly actresses, who gay people love and who performances that gay people love got nominated at the clip that pe- performances like Jonah Hill and Mark Wahlberg are getting nominated because they're in, like, Martin Scorsese movies and, like, straight people find it hilarious, it'd be a whole different fucking ballgame and people wouldn't shut up about the fact that, like, Blake Lively in a, in a, a simple plan got nominated. It's the same level to me. It's the same level to me. I get that. I follow. Thank you. I'm glad somebody did. I'm glad somebody <laughs> understands that. Um, all right. We're at an hour 30. Let's start wrapping it up. Do we have anything else to say about... I don't want to keep piling on Ryan Reynolds. I don't love him in this, but like, he shouldn't be in this I, movie. It should be I guess my else. other thing was it was originally supposed to be Andrew Garfield. And while he would have felt like a wee bairn in this movie he would have been so much better in that role i think that's he a good role so for andrew better. garfield yeah i think he that's a perfect so role for andrew garfield i think it's a good i mean again it's a good like donald gleason role it's a good uh, jimmy mcavoy role you know what i mean it's that kind mm-hmm. of a thing all right we can't get out of this without talking about the m for g's movie for, movies for grown-ups awards this we've talked about this best actress lineup before we have. and it's the only movie we've covered so like i feel like it's just this is like 
the ascendancy. This is this is the the peak form of uh, movies for grown-ups. Yeah, Helen Mirren for Woman in Gold, Blythe Danner for I'll See You in My Dreams, great performance, great movie. Uh, Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years, who gets the Oscar nomination that essentially Helen Mirren had been, you know, sort of blocking her from, from the SAG uh, field. Helen Mirren and Sarah Silverman in I Smile Back were cut out of the from the SAG nomination they were left off and it was Charlotte Rampling for 45 years and of course Jennifer Lawrence in Joy as Joy um I'm Joy by the way Maggie Smith for The Lady in the Van iconic uh transportation movie again Helen Mirren in The Leisure Seeker wants what Maggie Smith and The Lady in the Van has or maybe it's the other way around probably the other way around probably the other way around I don't think she's actually seeking any leisure in that van that's where she lives she yeah it's a good point is homeless and i believe having some type of mental illness in that movie yeah it's the other way around all right winner very deserving winner lily talman and grandma a movie that like with a little bit of like extra oomph in that in that campaign might have been able to crack a nomination am i crazy oscar nomination you just said oomph, and I'm like, if that movie had a little one of my followers. Oh my god! <laughs> see, see what we've done to language. To oomph. We can't use god. it for like force. No. Might. It is um, a flirtation Gross. phrase. Gross. Anyway, Lily Tomlin. Anyway, and she's great in Grandma. She is. She's great in Grandma. All right. Um. That's all Lily Tomlin needed. She needed oomphies, and she would have gotten the go away the nomination. Go fully away. All right. <laughs> Um. Anyway, would you like to explain to our listeners what the IMDb game is as we transition into that? I do that? think that that is something that I could do. Listeners, hello. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb and its illustrious algorithm says that they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it'll become a free-for-all of hints. Hooray, free-for-all of hints. All right, Chris, would you like to give or guess first? How about I guess first? All right. I am once again going to give you a choice between do you want a man or a woman? I always want the woman. All right. So I went the Ryan Reynolds route and picked a co-star of his from a movie that I liked, even though I don't know how much I remember about it, but I remember liking it well enough at the time. He is in a movie called Definitely Maybe, where he uh, dates several beautiful women, one of whom is uh, the great and uh, award season uh, uh, frequent frequenter because of... Uh, uh, her relationship with Sasha Baron Cohen this year, uh, Isla Fisher. Isla Fisher. Isla I'm gonna guess Fisher. definitely maybe is on there. No, incorrect. Wow. Yeah. Who was it on there for? Wasn't it on like Rachel Vices or something? It was on someone's. Oh, by the way, there is one voice only performance in this. Oh, okay. The voice only performance. I think I know what it is. I'm just forgetting what it is. Okay. So I'm going to come back to that. But I'm going to say, Now You See Me. Yes, correct. Now You See Me. Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers is correct. Okay. 
you know, sequels don't usually do that well, but, like, I can't think of that many Isla Fisher movies that I could really get out of this without saying Now You See Me too, which is fully stupid that it's not Now You Don't. You said that, Now right? You See Me too should be called Now You Don't. I've been saying this forever. That's my guess. Oh, well, famously, she's not in Now You See Me too. She was replaced by uh, Lizzie Kaplan. On the team this is how i reveal i did not see now you see me too yes probably because of the title you know i said you know what no you, it was mostly you, because you i didn't this up i didn't like now you see me one now you see me should have been like 20 times better than what it was considering its premise and it just now you see me is 20 times more stupid than it should be too yeah but it should be stupid fun Listen, we just saw it's old. Just we know stupid fun, stupid. and it's and oh yeah, old is stupid fun. Oh yeah, old is real stupid fun. I loved it. Can you believe she found it online? Oh my god, it's so good. There's so many things I, I want to talk about. I saw somebody unpacking it, saying like she didn't find the beach online, and they were pissed about it. But if you see the movie, that line is in reference to the hotel. The hotel. Which, where do you find hotels? Where do you where do you shop for hotels online? Yes, we can believe you found a hotel online. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But really, it's like, it's a whole sweepstakes thing. It's a whole, don't, let's listen. Discover the the secrets of old for yourselves, listeners, please. There are two things that old really doesn't understand. The first thing is... Any science? Yeah. Science. Science of any kind. Old does not understand science. Right. Second thing that old doesn't understand, online shopping. Yes. (laughs) Very true. All right. You have have two. Um, You have one wrong guess. Yeah, and I thought of this one after you. Oh said no, wait! You have two wrong guesses it. because you guessed definitely maybe. So now you get years. Your years oh, well, are. I, I have another one. Okay. But give me the year because that'll help me out. Two thousand nine and twenty twelve. Two thousand nine is definitely the non-voice one because it's the shopaholic. Movie. It is Confessions of a Shopaholic. Did you think of that when it. you said online shopping? It. Yes. It's <laughs> amazing. I'm stupid. I should have thought of that before. Yeah, confession, which um, shows up for somebody else. It's like it's in like Kristen Scott Thomas's or something like that. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. 2012 for a voice performance. This is going to be difficult. Yes, it is. It is an animated movie that has a title that often gets confused with another animated movie. What the hell? Neither of which ended up being all that popular but the one that this isn't was much more of a like movies movies that exists as a title kind of a thing because the title is very punchliney but that's not this one punchline animated title yeah are either of these like animated movies for adults like it's not like sausage party no it's not sausage party although this one is de- this one is pg it's not g it's pg so that's probably as oh <clears throat> it's very high concept as far as an animated movie goes where it was like what if dot 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 the pg thing tells me that it's not disney or pixar correct is it dreamworks who is it hold on Yes, DreamWorks Animation. So it's not a Shrek. It's not a... um, It's not a Shrek. How to Train Your Dragon. Very much an all-star cast as far as the voices are concerned. And you just don't do that in an animated movie. That's how you kill your animated movie. She plays an icon... It's not Mars Needs Moms, right? It's not Mars Needs Moms. No, the concept is much, much, much more... uh, uh, Monsters versus Aliens? 
Um, no, I'm going to tell you this because I don't think this is going to help you get it. Screenplay by David Lindsay Abair. Which I didn't know until just this second, but holy shit. Um, She plays a character who is incredibly well-known in culture associated with small amounts of money. Small amounts of money? Yeah. Oh, is she like a tooth fairy? She is, in fact, a tooth fairy. Okay, um... She's also part of a team on this, much like she is in Now You See Me. A team of fairies? A team of mystical creatures? Uh Uh-huh. Second one. What kind of a character is is the tooth fairy in culture? Tooth fairy culture? (laughs) Yes, she represents, Um, as a person of tooth fairy experience... Um, like growing up because the tooth fairy gives you money when you lose a tooth yeah so like what are other like characters who exist on a similar level of like the tooth fairy where maybe we tell children about them uh the boogeyman um we'll think happier the easter bunny right um santa right um Chris, you've Are heard of this movie. Are these all characters in this movie yes. that I don't know anything about? Apparently? Yes, you've heard of this movie. You know, you've not seen this movie, I'm sure, but you've definitely heard of this movie. So there's some animated movie that was DreamWorks that was all of these like yes, okay, with a screenplay by David Lindsay Abair. Wow. I'm uh, all right. The movie that the title gets confused with is. Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. <laughs> I was just thinking about Legends of the Guardians, Guardians of Gahul, Owls of Gahul. Yeah. Um, this <laughs> movie, movie title is, mov- is merely called Rise of the Guardians. Oh, this was like a big bomb, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's one of, like, the few animated bombs. See, I was close because I guess Monsters vs. Alien and Mar- Mom... Or uh, Mars Needs Moms. In some ways, yes, you were close. In other ways, you were very, very far away. (laughs) All right. Good job otherwise with with Isla Fisher. Catch my porn parody. (laughs) Legends of the Guardians. The Owls of Gahol. Nope. 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 (laughs) Canceled. This podcast is canceled. All right. All right. So... It is your turn. I went not only into the Oscar Best Actress lineup, I went into the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Best Actress lineup. Okay. I am talking about none other than uh, nominee for 45 years, Miss oh, Charlotte Rampling. Oh, God damn you. Famously, she is an owl of Gahul. <sighs> Charlotte Rampling's going to be impossible for me, and it's also going to expose me as not knowing European cinema. So great. All right. Um, 45 years. 45 years, her Oscar nomination. All right. Never Let Me Go? No. Damn it. Um. Okay. Can I just say, you just breezed by me saying that she was an owl of Gahul and just accepted that as fact, and I was joking. She should be. She should be an owl of Gahul. Okay. Charlotte Rampling. It's not going to be any of like her like older movies, like when she was in 
Isn't she in like The Verdict or something like that? Um, she's in a bunch. Charlotte Rampling. Charlotte Rampling. She's not. It's not going to be Dune yet. Although, like, honestly, she is going to be some type of space witch in Dune. Yeah, and it's very scary. All right. What other movies? I, mean, I will say this isn't entirely cruel. You do even if you haven't seen all of these movies, you know these movies. Okay. All right. All right. Um I mean she's barely in this movie, but is it Melancholia? Melancholia. <laughs> God. All right. So it's that level of stuff. Okay. Um but not never let me go. Oh, she's in Red Sparrow. Is it Red Sparrow? No, that is a decent guess, except nobody fucking saw Red right, Sparrow. Right, right. Good point. Good point. Um, your years are 2003-2016. Ha <laughs> Quite the spread there. 2016, I'm positive, is a movie that showed up on on an IMDb game you've given me very, fairly recently. Oh, that's I'm interesting. Positive. 2003... Oh, that was so. That was when she was still almost entirely known in Europe. Is this the Francois Ozone movie that she did? Ozone. Yes. Ozone? Is this the one with? Um, oh, the poster is, um, uh, what's her face in like a bikini, right? Uh, yes. Ludovine Sagnier or whatever in a bikini. It's You're called Swimming Pool. It's called Swimming Pool. Swimming Pool, which I know you know because it was on Focus Features yes. pre-roll yep. for, like, years. Yes, you're totally Not right. Not years, but, like, attached to everything. All right, 2016. 2016 is kind of a genre bomb. A genre bomb. I don't think anyone expected this. Movie. Was she like a? Was she like a? I know people have it has its like name. a senator in a Transformers movie or something. No, it's not like that type of genre. Not that type of genre. I could get really specific Horror? about the genre, and I think Horror. you would get it right away. No, like fanboy action movie. Like it's based Resident on a video Evil. Game. Like yes, based on a video game. Okay, Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. I've never seen it, but she, yeah, that seems about right that she would be in Assassin's Creed. All right. Yeah. Well, give her a year and she'll be in Dune. It's so sad that IMDb is listing it as Dune Part One because, as I can't remember. There's not going to be a Dune Part One. I was going to say, somebody pointed this out and, like, and much as I don't want this to be true, like, this movie is really going to crater. Given the climate of how people are going to the movies or not going to the movies like i think also just given the ceiling of what box office grosses are for movies right now that's what i mean and like this movie's going to be two and a half hours it's going to nobody knows the source material except for like the very very dedicated of the geeks timothy chalamet much as i love him is not going to be that kind of a box office draw it's it's going to be a bummer like i'm gonna i'm not going to enjoy it bombing but like it sure is gonna bomb Damn it. And yep. they're only doing half of the story because there's too much story for one movie. And like, uh, I just want to see the second one. 
This is why we... And they've probably pissed Denis Villeneuve off enough about the HBO Max side of it that, like, he may not be all that inclined to do it now. This is what we actually need billionaires for. Not to go to fucking space. Like, we need them to, like, also, like, pay their taxes and, you know, save the country. But also... Throw your maybe fund some, but if they want know, to throw some money programs. away, throw your money away on funding movies that will never make a profit. Just do you that. could do that. You could also, you know, end global warming. Um, do that first. Do that on Monday, and then on Tuesday, yeah. fund Dune Part Two, <laughs> please. <laughs> Just for Chuck. Just for me. Thank you. All right, that's our episode. We end our episode with a earnest plea to uh billionaires that's our episode if you would like more that uh, if you would billionaires can go stay in space but send their money back yeah stay in space die of suffocation and whatever exposure but before you do that give us all your fucking money if you would like more this had oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this had oscar you should also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz chris where can listeners find you and your stuff you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That is F-E-I-L. Yay. We should. And we will. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, the unfortunate Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So take a second to buy some duty-free cognac and write up something nice about us, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Remember, he's got a golden hand.